You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. No idea. What if they took a world-famous musician and had them play some of the most beautiful pieces ever written in a very common location? And um, this particular uh, musician that they were thinking of was someone called Joshua Bell. Uh, here's a picture of him. Uh, he's a famous violinist, concert violinist, and um, he uh, set up in a busking in a train station in Washington just as rush hour um, happened. Now, as they were planning this, they were thinking, what's going to be the response of people? You know, uh, someone who's so famous that you have to pay big money to go and see. Uh, is, there, is there going to be a crowd gathering to get photos? Is there going to be a riot? Is there going to need to be tear gas and rubber bullets and all of that kind of thing um, for him to be in this public location? And so uh, Joshua Bell set out about 7.30 in the morning to head out to uh, this train station you can see here behind me in Washington, just a very common location. Where he was staying was only a few blocks away from this but he took a cab there because the violin that he was going to be using is the Stradivarius worth $4 million, and so he didn't want to be walking for too far with something so valuable. Uh, instead of wearing a tuxedo, he was uh, wearing a, just a T-shirt and a baseball cap and a pair of jeans. And he played for 45 minutes, and in that time he played six pieces, which are some of the most difficult, complex, beautiful violin pieces ever written. And he just played it all from memory. And I wonder, like this guy, he, he earns $1,000 a minute when he plays a concert. I wonder how much, how much you think he raised in 45 minutes there busking in this train station. There was uh, a camera which recorded the whole lot, whole thing, and uh, over that 45 minutes, 1,070 people walked right in front of him. And in that time, he raised $32 and some change. Some people literally just put a few cents in there. Uh, it's um, very interesting that of that 1,070 people which walked right past Joshua Bell as he was playing these concertos, that um, only seven actually turned in his direction, even just to acknowledge him, to turn in his direction. There's a couple of interesting things here um, from this whole thing, this whole scene. One is that uh, as people were on their mobile phones and they would get close to him, they started talking louder on their mobile phones to try and drown out this infernal din that this person was making, you know, scratching away on their fiddle. Um, some people didn't hear him at all. There was people with their earbuds in, and they just went on to work, completely oblivious, just to the, the beauty that was coming out of um, that corner of the train station. And of all the different people which passed by there in that 45 minutes, whether they were young, whether they were old, whether they were men, or women, there was one demographic of people that always acted the same way every single time they heard the music, and that was young children. Every single time they heard the music, they turned in his direction, they stared, and they wanted to stay there. And every time, the parents who were bringing, dragging them through had to wrestle with them to drag them out of that train station. And there's literally a child who uh, was trying to crane his neck around to see Joshua Bell, and so uh, the mother had to kind of twist her body to try and block the view so that she could get the child to um, cooperate and get him out of the station there. Also, another interesting point is that there was a lottery machine not too far away from where Joshua Bell was standing. And in the whole 45 minutes that he was standing there playing, there was no less than six people who were standing in line waiting to get their lottery tickets. And in the whole 45 minutes, not one single person in that line turned in his direction. 
um, to acknowledge that he was there. When Joshua Bell had finished, he packed up and went, and the reporter went over to that line where the people were still waiting for their lottery tickets and uh, filled them in on the secret and said, do you know who that was? That was Joshua Bell. He normally plays up at the concert hall and, and he was here. And when they found out they'd missed the opportunity of a lifetime, they said, oh, is he going to be playing around here again sometime? <laughs> and uh, they said, yeah, he is, but next time you're going to have to pay a lot of money to see him. Um, the people didn't recognise greatness uh, when it was right in front of them. The beauty um, was when it was right in front of them. Now, when I read that story, it saddened me that we could be so busy in our lives to and fro with what we've got just on our agenda, just for the moment. We miss the moments like this of beauty, of greatness like this, because it's so ordinary in our life. We don't think in a train station we're going to encounter something which is uh, so wonderful. And I have to say that it reminded me of Jesus when he was here and his greatness and how people just missed it. Now, John 1, verses 10 and 11. I'm going to take a few verses from John chapter 1 this morning. It says this. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, Jesus made all the world, the whole universe. That's what Christians believe. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, that is the Jewish people. He was a Jew. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They didn't recognise the greatness of Jesus and he was standing there right in front of him. He spoke about this heavenly wisdom as he was connecting with people. He spoke about the glory of heaven. He spoke about eternal realities. But the setting in which he lived was just so ordinary. They found it hard to equate this man who grew up at that place in Galilee with the Son of God, as he was saying. And so he said things like, unless you believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. And they just rejected it. They couldn't accept it. And so this morning, I guess I just wanted to kind of share my heart with you guys. Um, it's a different kind of a message here, but I just want to put to you, who do you say that Jesus is in your own life? Who do you say he is? Because in our day, many people have a similar blindness when they look at Jesus, all he is, think about his mission, his teaching, because we can speak about Jesus as being a prophet or a holy man, a great teacher, an example of moral excellence, and nobody's going to bother about that. But as soon as we start talking about Jesus as being the Son of God, well, people will get in line to tell you that you're wrong. Because first off, a billion Muslims will say, is Jesus a prophet? Yes. But is he God? No. I won't agree with that. Jews all over the world will say, um, was he a teacher? Yes. But is he God? No. Liberal scholars will say, is he a great example of moral excellence, something to aspire to? And I'll say, yes. But was he divine? No. Um, even the Jehovah's Witness will say, is he a God, little g? Yes. But is he the God? No. And so who is Jesus for you this morning? Now, we are here in a worship service. We have sung worship songs uh, to him. Uh, most of you have come to know the one that the Bible speaks of, Jesus. But what does that belief mean to you? So this morning, I just want to speak for a few moments about this Jesus, this one who was so ordinary, and yet he split all of history into B.C., before Christ, and A.D., and Domini, the year of our Lord, just with his coming. 
all the time in history before he came and then after his birth, split in two because of him. And so I just want to talk about Jesus this morning. So I, I like to collect different pictures of Jesus, um, just to see how different people and different cultures uh, capture an aspect of him or his teaching. This is a very well-known, famous painting of Jesus called Jesus, the Light of the World. Um, it pictures him knocking at the door. There's no handle because the idea is the handle's on the inside and we have to open it up to him. Uh, portrayed kind of as the, the ideal English king wearing a silk nightgown uh, out in the dark and the cold and he needs to be let in. You can go to the next one, thanks. This is uh, like Jesus, the friend, inviting us to come along the path with him. Uh, this is Jesus uh, from the Jesus of Nazareth movie uh, from the 70s. Kind of gaunt, uh, you know, the blue eyes, the high cheekbones, kind of pale skin. Um, not necessarily uh, what a, a Jewish man would have looked like or would look like. This is like the Francis of Assisi Jesus. You know, the one who, um, you know, all the animals uh, love to be with. Yep, next one. This is uh, how Jesus is portrayed by a African people. Uh, this is their depiction of the Last Supper, but from an African perspective. Uh, many of you will be familiar with this particular one. Again, like a very Western way of looking at uh, Jesus. Again, uh, not really representative of maybe what a Jewish man might look like. This one here, um, I'm sorry, it really looks like a bearded lady. Uh, to me, um, because they're trying to portray certain things about his love and, and so forth, but I'm wondering if any of these are connecting with you, if there's a particular picture which might. This one here is kind of like that idea of an otherworldly Jesus, so uh, he doesn't, maybe we find it hard to connect with somebody like this uh, who belongs in another realm, maybe not here. And then on the other hand, you've got this picture here, which is kind of like, um, you've heard of the Shroud of Turin? If the Shroud of Turin was actually made to look like a person, this is what Jesus could have looked like. Um, this one here is of a, a man, uh, a skull uh, found um, from in Palestine, dated back to the first century. They reconstructed it. This is kind of like what a Jewish man would look like um, with those kind of features. Jesus, the good shepherd there, people picturing him with a, a lamb on his back and a, a shepherd's crook in his hand, perhaps. Uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, a very exhausting movie if you ever watch it, very bloody movie, um, and the way that he's been depicted there as the suffering servant. Uh, the, the Indian version of Jesus in the boat there. Uh, Jesus laughing. Do you ever think of Jesus actually as laughing? We see him maybe being stern with people or teaching, but do you actually, could, could you actually imagine him laughing uh, as he's with people? The Maasai Jesus, uh, picturing him as the Maasai warrior uh, from people who live actually in Africa. Uh, the Japanese Jesus, um, we have this tendency to uh, see him as being part of our own culture, don't we? And so this is the scene there. You know where this scene's from in the life of Jesus? Uh, when Peter went walking out to Jesus uh, in the storm on the water and uh, was sinking down. This one is entitled Peace. And, uh, yeah, uh, Jesus calming the storm. Uh, Jesus, the, uh, who uh, is in the uh, stained glass window, the lead lighting there. And for some people, they feel like Jesus belongs in a church, but maybe then making the connection outside the four walls of the church maybe isn't so easy. The angry Christ, 
the angry Jesus, um, pointing his finger at the Pharisees because they just didn't get it and were barring people, excluding them from life in the kingdom. Now, I wonder if any of those pictures connected with you. You can go to the next one. Thanks. I wonder if any of those pictures connected with you particularly, some aspect of Jesus' life, his mission, his teaching. John 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this verse says that the Word, the eternal Son of God, actually came here to this earth. He left the glory of heaven, came to this place and shared our tiredness and our sorrows, our suffering, our joys, family life, all of those things. He made his dwelling here. Literally, he, the Greek word means he tabernacled here. He pitched his tent here or his, ta- or his tabernacle here. The message translation says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I like that way of trying to depict God with us. You know, Emmanuel, that concept we think about every Christmas time. Now, just like these different pictures that we've seen this morning, there's different ways that you and I can connect with Jesus, different ways that we can picture his impact in our own life. I think for myself, just so that you get to know me a little bit, growing up in the church in my younger or youngest years, I probably met Jesus first as the forgiving Jesus. So I'd been told that there is a hell, and if I didn't accept Jesus, then I was going to go to hell. And so, and that, and so for me, following Jesus was more about an insurance policy, making sure that I was right with God so that I wouldn't go to hell. And uh, as long as he kept up his part of the deal, then, then I was happy with that. Although the problem, I guess, for me in those years was it was very much works-based, my faith. Because if I'd managed, remembered to pray or uh, been in the Bible, then God would be happy with me. Uh, but if I didn't keep up my end of the deal, well, would God be angry with me? Would he reject me and then maybe I might go to hell after all? So there wasn't really that assurance in my life, just with my understanding of him being the forgiving Jesus. Then as I continued to to grow in my faith, I started following the useful Jesus. I was progressing through school and into the world of work, and uh, sometimes I would encounter situations which were just beyond me. Um, It was bigger than me. I'd get to the end of myself. I'd go through all of my different options. I couldn't fix the problem. And in desperation, I would go to Jesus and ask for his help. And then he would come through. He would provide the answers or the solution that I needed. And so I found that Jesus could be very useful to follow. Uh, And he would uh, keep me in that place away from discomfort um, because I would pray to him. And so I got more involved in church life and began to learn all about that and to tithe and all these things. But as long as Jesus kept up his part of the deal, which was to keep me from any kind of discomfort. A bit later on, I got to know the teacher, Jesus, as I started to fill my head more with truths from Scripture, came to understand uh, the big story of the Bible, um, spiritual things. But there's a pride that can come in with that, knowing all of these spiritual truths, but not maybe being connected with God as you should. I was still a very prideful, impatient person. Uh, There were still sins in my life I couldn't quite overcome, but I knew lots of things. But finally, I came to know the King Jesus, the Lord Jesus, that 
I heard someone preach that Jesus isn't just our saviour. He's actually Lord. What he calls from us is a, a, a response of commitment to him. All that I am. And uh, I came to realise that to follow this Jesus, I would need to be identified with him, say, in my workplace or in my friends. And uh, there might be a cost associated with that to actually follow him as my Lord, for him to have all of me. Sometimes he was going to bring me to a crossroads, like a fork in the road. And if I was going to continue on with him, I would have to make a life choice in line with what I was saying I believed. It was going to actually have to affect the way that I lived, the choices that I made for him to be the King Jesus in my life. Now, I wonder for you, can you sense this kind of progression in your own life? We go through stages of faith, an ever-deepening commitment to the Lord, because I think that when we first start down the path, how do we really know the implications of what it means to give all of us? And as we continue to keep walking, we come to a deeper and deeper place in our walk with him. Now, over this last 10 years, actually being out in church world, in, involved more closely in the lives of people, I've come to the, just a rock-solid conviction that Jesus is a good shepherd and he's very much alive and well and at work in the lives of people. I just wanted to share some stories about that, um, if I could, because he's at work everywhere. Um, he's at work in bringing transformation in the lives of people. I think of a young man called Clayton who came to our church at Cleandra. Uh, he was uh, a drug addict, a very violent man, uh, he'd broken a, 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 a beer bottle and cut his hand badly. And then he decided to go for a swim at Golden Beach and got a staph infection in his hand. So he was in hospital. Couldn't do his work as a plasterer and he was stuck there with this quite severe infection. And while he's in that state, just kind of angry with life in the world, a chaplain went down the hospital corridor and met with him and told him that he needed Jesus. And uh, he didn't even know where to start. But this chaplain, I think he was from an Anglican background, said... Just try and find this church. He tried to explain this church to him. He didn't really know where it was. When he got out of hospital, the first thing he did is he, he headed um, to our church, uh, which wasn't the one that passed, the, the, the chaplain was telling him about. It just so happened that it was the once a fortnight service where we were meeting, and he came in right during that time where we were meeting uh, in the evening. Uh, I chatted with him. I met with him the next day at Moffat Beach for a couple of hours. And as I was trying to share with him about Jesus, he realised that he wanted that. He just didn't know how to, to, to do it. He didn't know about it. And as I explained to him about the grace of Jesus, that it's not about what you do. It's about receiving forgiveness as a free gift. It's like the whole world kind of opened up to him. And just the transformation, as he started to follow Jesus, it's not the kind of transformation that you can actually do in yourself. He, he gave up the drugs um, he, his anger um, went. He used to pick fights with people at the workplace, like fist fights, for fun. Uh, but instead now, he had this love for Jesus and he was sharing his faith in Jesus with them. And some of them came to faith. Others ridiculed him hugely. Uh, I baptised him you know, a few weeks later and uh, he's still going really strong in his faith. That's Clayton. When you see God change someone's life, you realise that ministry is really where it's at. And that when you see that change, you think, oh, well, I don't want to do anything else when uh, I see this happen. Jesus not only brings that transformation and conversions, but as we walk with him through life, he provides guidance, he provides for our needs. 
the number of times, dozens of times, that I've been with somebody who's just been at their wit's end. And uh, unless they get a job or their situation changes, they are in dire straits. And I've tried everything else like I used to do. And so we pray. We say, let's just stop. Let's pray. Let's make God a part of it. And we just invite Jesus to take charge of the situation. And it's like every single time the job comes or the situation changes and the person's able to move forward and they've got this testimony of what God has done in their life. It just happens again and again and again and again. God is so much involved in the lives of people. I think of how Jesus still brings physical healing to people. I'm not sure where you are at with this, but after I preached one Sunday a couple of years ago, a man called Ray came to the front. Uh, He uh, had a bad diagnosis, so he was kind of passing blood in his urine. Um, They identified he had this big mass in his bladder. And they'd said the C word, they thought it could be cancer. He was getting stressed because on Tuesday he had to go and get this thing taken out. And um, he thought, what's going to be the future for me? Chemo or what's going to happen? You know, am I going to die? And so we prayed. There wasn't any angels or anything like that, you know. But we prayed and just committed it to God and asked that God would do something in his life. So he heads down to the Prince Charles Hospital on the Tuesday. And they think, we'll just do one last scan before we open him up. They scanned him. There's nothing there. They keep looking. And the doctors start getting angry with Ray and saying, what are you doing here? You're fine. And he said, well, you guys told me to come here. So on one hand, they had his results. On the monitor, they couldn't see anything. And the thing, too, didn't add up. So he had to get in his car and drive home. Now, God can do that. And um, I could tell you many other stories where people have come to healing through prayer. Other times where people have died that I've prayed for. It's not like magic. But Jesus still engages in people's life in that way and brings healing um, in response to prayer and prayer alone. I've seen how he overcomes the power of, or satanic powers, the power of the enemy. That um, there is something in this world which is evil, which wants to bring people down, which wants to enslave people. Um, we had a case in Bundaberg of as close as I can think of to New Testament demonic possession. And uh, as myself and a couple of other people were praying for this girl, she was trying to attack us, but she couldn't get at us, but she was trying to. Um, there was a great transformation which happened in her life, actually. Bundaberg was a very oppressive place, actually, and um, they had a, a, a famous clairvoyant come to Bundy um, for one week, and they actually booked out the Moncrief Theatre, 500 seats. And some people from the um, Bundaberg House of Prayer, thought about a dozen people, thought they'd go and pray out the front of that place as the whole meeting's going on. And uh, so they did that. And two brave souls actually paid tickets and went in to the place with all the hundreds of people while the, this event was happening. They sat down the front. And it was so interesting that when they came out, they said about how the clairvoyant was totally thrown throughout her whole presentation, that um, she was unsure of herself, And she actually said to the crowd at one stage, I don't know what it is tonight. There's something that's blocking me from being able to connect. And uh, she was so upset, and she actually motioned to a part of the crowd that was there, and she said, I don't know what it is, but there's something in this area just here which is opposing me and what I'm trying to do, which is exactly where these two men were were seated in the seats. And Jesus' power still overcomes the power of the evil one. So he brings... 
conversions, transformation. He provides for us and provides guidance. Uh, he brings physical healing. He overcomes the power of the evil one. And even in death, I've seen how he brings such peace and rest. I think of one guy called Jim, another lady called Eunice, that I met with one day from death. Typically, people become highly medicated as they get close to death, and so they become non-communicative. But meeting with each of these people just before, like one day away from, from passing into eternity, the, the peace that they had, their strong faith, just spoke volumes to me. You might have heard it say that, you know, when you go into a hospital to minister to someone, you're, you're there to give, but you end up being the one who receives. And that was definitely what it was for me. That while I was there to try and encourage, I'm the one who came away thinking, wow, you know, this it just gives you that 100% confidence that you can move into eternity knowing that your eternal destiny is safe with God. And even for all that I've said, I love this that you've got over here, dear to grow, that... Um, I've also encountered Jesus as the, the shepherd who sometimes will bring difficult things into your life because he's got a picture of where you could be. He doesn't want to keep you where you are, but he wants to bring you deeper into a relationship with him. And so this whole idea of dare to grow, that sometimes you'll bring difficult things into your life, limit situations. You can't get past those. You think, why have I been forsaken? It's because he has a, a, a further journey for you to take. I'm starting to understand that there's, this, there's a spirituality for the second half of life. It's not about our success or our achievement or our performance, but it's about us pulling down those towers that we try and build so that we can serve this world around us. You, you could go to the next one, thanks, Miriam. So John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This morning, I guess I'm just trying to say that Jesus makes all of life wonderful. Do you believe that this morning? Can you grasp that for yourself, that knowing Jesus makes all of life wonderful? Because he gives our life purpose. He is this shepherd that walks with us through life. He knows what we need. He dares us to grow in him. He helps us to see the beauty in this world, even in difficult times. Listen to these words from Ravi Zacharias. Sorry, that's a bit small, but I'll read it to you if you can't read it there. Ravi Zacharias, the well-known apologist, says this. He says, The Jesus I know and love today I encountered at the age of 17, but his name and his tug in my life mean infinitely more now than they did when I first surrendered my life to him. I came to him because I did not know which way to turn. I have remained with him because there is no other way I wish to turn. I came to him longing for something I did not have. I remain with him because I have something I will not trade. I came to him as a stranger. I remain with him in the most intimate of friendships. I came to him unsure about my future. I remain with him certain about my destiny. Now, um, we could just go to that last picture and we'll finish with this. I mentioned before that I wonder which of those pictures connects with you that I showed before. This picture here is one that connects with me. Jesus in the boat with the calm sea there. That in that boat, the disciples had known him as Jesus of Nazareth, the miracle worker, um, the one who was the teacher. 
But when they encountered a situation where they couldn't overcome themselves and Jesus could stand at the end of the boat and say, be still to the wind and the waves, they recognised that he actually was God. He's in charge of all of nature. And uh, it, it just encourages me that this one, that we can domesticate so much, Jesus, he actually is the almighty creator as well. And he demands all of me. Now, maybe for you this morning, maybe you don't know Jesus. I'd love to chat with you. Maybe you only know of him as the teacher, as the miracle worker in the dusty pages of scripture, perhaps. But I'd love for you to understand what it means for him to be your Lord as well. But maybe for you, you've walked with him for a number of years. This morning is a great opportunity for you just to reaffirm your allegiance to him once again. Just to say, yes, I'm on the same page as you. Wherever it leads, I'm going to dare to grow, to be on the same page as you, Jesus whatever that looks like. Maybe it is that God's spoken to you about something and put his finger on some aspect in your life. I'd love to give you a few moments just to be alone with the Lord in your thoughts, and then I'll close. Why don't we come before the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you we can be here this morning. We can be talking about Jesus. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would just continue to take us by the hand and you would guide us like a shepherd. Give us wisdom, Lord, for the situations in our life which seem bigger than us. Lord, help us to discern you in our world. Lord, not just to keep, be blindly running through life to and fro, but to, to see your beauty, to see your fingerprints and where you're working, Lord, uh, to hear your voice and to join you in your great work, your great mission in the world, Lord, of bringing your truth and your light into dark places. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.